Hey guys, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining me on Faith, Hope, Love, where we come together to grow in our faith, increase in hope, and learn how to better love God and love other people. You're on episode two of a two-part mini-series called Back to the Basics, where we will come together just to kind of learn how to read and study the Bible. If you missed last week, episode one, it was essentially three basic tools for learning how to study the Bible, and those tools are absolutely free for anyone worldwide. So I'm really excited. I hope that those were helpful to you. If you missed it, go back and watch last week's video. But this week, we're going to look at the theme verse for Faith, Hope, Love as an example for the steps that I use for studying the Bible. I'm really, really excited about today's episode, so let's just jump on in. So today's episode, the most important thing that I have found when looking at the Bible, first off, I want to come to God and just say, God, I, I want to know you more through your word. I'm seeking you. I'm putting my faith in you every single day. I have hope that you have a plan for my life and I wanna learn how to love the way that you loved. That's some of the things that I pray daily because those are things that I struggle with personally. And so it's been something that as God has brought me through studying this passage in preparation for this whole show, God's just been really reworking in my heart the priorities that we need to have in life that at least for me personally, these are priorities that he wants me to have for my life. But I wanna show you very simply how to study the Bible and the way that I view it is we need to first understand the who, what, when, where, and the original why of a Bible passage before we can apply the why to our lives in the 21st century. So again, we're going to jump in to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and we're going to do again the who, what, when, where, and why first before we try to apply it to ourselves. So first up is who. And there's actually two who's for this Bible passage. It's the book of Corinthians written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. So first, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul just to get a little bit better understanding of who this guy was and why it matters that he wrote this book of the Bible. So I'm just going to give you a little background on his life. So his name is Paul. That's kind of how most of us Christians know of him. He used to be called Saul. What's interesting about that is as a Roman citizen, Paul would have been his Roman name and Saul, which is a slightly different variant, would have been his Hebrew name. So it's not that it's a completely different name, it's just pronounced differently or I guess emphasized differently, whether he's speaking to those in Rome or he's speaking to those that are in, in the Hebrew um, people groups. So it's really important that we understand a little bit more about his upbringing he would have grown up in this city called Tarsus, which was a really affluent port city. And it was well known that his family was really religiously involved. They were um, good Jews. And they sent him when he was old enough to train under Gamaliel, who was a really huge rabbi at that time. So all of this would have been happening around um, early AD. So right around the time that Jesus was crucified, this is when he's growing up in um, this under rabbaic tradition by Gamaliel. He's training under this guy and he has um, essentially stood out as being really, really phenomenal. And so he ends up joining the Pharisees, which is at that point is a very large religious sect within Judaism that um, there's this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they uh, tend to have different views over a couple different theological differences. But 
where that comes down to is that the Pharisees were the ones that crucified Jesus. And so for Saul, at the time he went by his Hebrew name, Saul, he was totally bought in to everything that the Pharisees stood for. And so after Jesus was crucified, died and was buried and rose to the dead, rose from the dead, his, um, the church started where the, the 12 disciples uh, minus Judas plus one, they started to share the gospel with other people. And the movement of the church just blew up because what Jesus had done was real and people had been changed by his life, his teachings, his miracles. We'll get into that next week as we start that new series. But the people around that area were so um, blessed and changed by Jesus that that movement just exploded and it started as people were being persecuted that movement spread all over um, as far as Rome and so what we see here is Paul as a good Pharisee he is going around and he is killing Christians because he's feeling that they're spreading this false faith and they're um, they're heres they are committing heresy and so he's taking this very seriously he's going to different churches around Jerusalem um, capturing and arresting these Christians and ultimately a lot of them most of them are getting killed and so Paul Saul at the time thought he was doing the right thing there's even an instance in Acts where he um, actually is one of the people that is watching as a, a man named Stephen who was one of the first martyrs the first martyr to um, he just stands there holding everyone's cloaks as he's being stoned and so you, that's his very first introduction in the Bible and it's, it's really like an awful thing that you see this, again, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was trying to serve God, but he didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And so fast forward a little bit, he's going to go to this city called Damascus, which he knew there was a big church there. And so he's on this road, on the way to, uh, to capture these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. And on the road, there's a blinding white light and automatically he loses his sight and he hears this voice say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he responds, who are you, Lord? Because he knows something profound is going on. This is not a human experience. This is a supernatural, spiritual experience. And the voice responds, I am Jesus. And he's like, in that moment, he knows he's been doing the wrong thing. And so he then goes to Damascus, a a Christian there places hands on him and he restores his sight and he has just this really profound conversion experience where he literally meets Jesus and instead of killing Christians now he's dedicating his life to making more Christians making more disciples and so he goes and he continues to study and use all of his training from the Old Testament and then seeing how Christ has fulfilled everything in the law and the prophets, that Jesus is the culmination of everything in Judaism. And so he then takes that message as an expert in the law, as a Roman citizen, as a Jew among Jews, and he is taking that message to the entire uh, modern world at that time. And so that's part of who Saul was. We see before he's writing to the Corinthian church, he goes through persecution, he's stoned, he is um, put in jail and beaten with rods, he experiences um, a 
lot of really crazy stuff, just persecution, like the persecution he had been doling out to Christians in the past. Now he's experiencing that as he is sharing the gospel. And so we see Paul during his first missionary journey, he doesn't go as far. He goes about to um, kind of like lower um, Asia Minor, which is not, not Asia as we know it today, but in kind of the um, north of Turkey and not quite over to Greece. So kind of in that middle area there. But we see him kind of do that on his first journey. And then his second missionary journey is when he actually comes and meets and creates this church in Corinth. And so you see him, um, he goes through um, Asia Minor, up through, um, Ephesus is another main church, which we will get to again later in a second. But he goes through this uh, Asia Minor, goes up through Northern Macedonia, drops into Achaia, which is where Corinth is located. And just to give a little understanding of what Corinth was, uh, similar to Troas, which again was a port city, Corinth was also a port city, very highly um, influential, very um, strong in Greek culture. Before the Roman government had taken over this whole area, Greece had been in, in control. And so this is a very huge um, area with lots of growth. It was um, more Hellenistic ideology, but it was kind of very advanced as far as like philosophy and, and all of, of those types of ideas, um, religion. So it was really a, a big central city where people were coming from all over the Mediterranean to, um, to essentially do trade. But because of that, there was tons of influence from all over the place as far as ideology, religion, all of that. And so when Paul comes on the scene, he starts to meet with people in the marketplace and is preaching the gospel, telling people about who Jesus was. And they would have all known, most of them, about Jewish, the uh, Judaism. And so it wasn't like a huge surprise when someone comes in and is kind of talking about this new prophet. A lot of them had already heard about it because of the dispersal of all of those that had been persecuted. And so as Paul comes in the marketplace, he's preaching this, he ends up staying for a year and a half and just really pours into this group of people. And when he leaves, he's left what he feels is a, a, a strong church. And so he goes on his way and um, goes back to Jerusalem. And a little while later, he's back in Ephesus again, and he starts to write these letters to the, the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. There is mention of another letter, but we don't have access to it. But we see that in his letters, if you read all of it, I would encourage you to, you see that he is really struggling and heartbroken over the church in Corinth. Because since he left, there's been a lot of moral issues, um, with like, you know, sexual sin and things like that. There's been a lot of lawsuits and disputes and division with those in the church. And he's just heartbroken. He's like, guys, this is not what I taught you. You know, stay with the gospel that I first preached to you and you gotta live that out. And so he's obviously very distraught over what he's been hearing from other believers that are coming and telling him about what's happening in Corinth. And so he tells them, guys, I'm gonna come visit you. You better have your act together because I, I want to see you guys living in light of the freedom of the gospel. And so all of the stuff that he's writing is while he's living in Ephesus, which um, he ended up being there for uh, several years, three years in Ephesus. And so just to kind of give an idea, when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it would have been around 34 AD. And then when he's writing this letter, it's around um, 54 to 57 AD. So about 20 years since he um, was saved essentially. But we just, we see that this, this letter and 
it's it's really out of a heart of love that he desperately loves and cares for the church that he's founded in Corinth and he just wants the best for them right so just to kind of get an idea we've talked about the who right Paul slash Saul the Corinthian church the when we talked about this is being written during 54 to 57 AD um, the where again he the church is written to in Corinth but he's writing this from Ephesus which isn't a super far distance away if they were just to go straight across the Aegean Sea but the way that it works is he has to go all the way around so um, it is actually quite farther than it would look so um, so he is writing this now we to the who when and where let's talk briefly about the what what does he say in this passage so in 1 Corinthians 13, the section that precedes it, right in chapter 12, is talking about the problem between believers in the church, that they're competing with one another um, because um, Paul had given them the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were being able to enjoy the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and healing and hospitality and uh, teaching and, and preaching. And so they had been enjoying these gifts, but a lot of the people were saying, well, my gift is better than your gift and you're not as good as I am. And so there was this competition and this division that was going on in the church, which is truly heartbreaking because as the church, there was supposed to be this unity and this the benefit of Christ is this unifying factor and breaking down the, the brokenness of humanity and being able to take on the likeness of Christ, which is love. We're going to get to that in a second. And so Paul was just distraught over this. And so he goes into this chapter about love and saying, you know, you guys could have all this prophecy and the ability to speak in tongues. And, but if you don't have love, if you're not doing it out of love, then it's totally worthless. You're like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just an annoying noise. And so he, you know, continues into this explanation of what love is. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others and it isn't self-seeking. It keep, you know, he has a huge list of what love is and what love isn't. And when you look at that list, these are all the things that are innate in our hearts to be and to do. We we want to to be envious of others or we're proud or we want to keep track of wrongs. If someone wrongs us, we want to keep track of that. We want to be um you know, self-seeking. That's just our human nature to do those things. And he says, no, but instead of that, you need to be patient and kind and you need to have the likeness of Christ because that's the real example of all of this. So he goes through all of that and then he ends that chapter with our theme verse. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So I want to break down very briefly what those three words mean in the Greek. I feel like our English, we kind of lose a lot of the meaning of words because you can have multiple words for something in Greek and only one in English. So you kind of miss out. By no means do you need to look at the Greek every single time you open the Bible, but I find it to be helpful when we're trying to really understand the real meaning of a passage. So I talked about it last week. Blue Letter Bible is a great free resource online that gives you access to all of the Greek. That's where I found all of this information. I'm not a Greek scholar, though I would one day love to be. It is not my forte, um, but these are um, just a really easy resource again, Blue Letter Bible. So we're gonna jump into faith, hope, love. 
Okay, so the Greek word for faith is pistis, and it's used 243 times in the New Testament alone. So if that kind of gives you an idea of the importance of the word faith, the idea of faith, that obviously Paul and the other New Testament writers wouldn't have talked about it so much if it wasn't so important. And if you look at the actual Greek, the word faith is not just this general belief in something, but it's this real true belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation. And so it's something that, again, it's not faith in our circumstances or our situation. It is faith in Christ. And that is something that cannot be moved, cannot be taken away from us. And that's what's really cool about it is that we have access to it forever. One thing I do want to note on the commentaries section of Blue Litter Bible, there's lots of great resources such as the Matthew Henry commentary and my favorite Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I want to just read you a quick quote that he said about faith, which is found in this passage. And he says, faith requires three things, to know something, to believe it, and to own that belief. Now, true faith in its very essence rests in this, a leaning upon Christ. It will not save me to know that Christ is a savior, but to save me is to trust him to be my savior. Now, that's something that's really profound because again, a lot of people, even when Jesus was, was alive and walking around, they acknowledged who Christ was, but they knew that it would come at a cost to follow him. Especially at this time, they were worried about persecution for being killed for their faith. Um, but they also knew that they were going to have to give up some of the things that the world values, like riches or fame. That this faith, it's you have to not just understand that Jesus is who he says he was, but you have to ask and live daily in that faith and believing Christ is my savior and it has the potential to change the way we live. And that takes us into our next word, hope. And so if you look at the word for hope in the Greek, it's elpis, which literally means joyful expectation of eternal salvation. So what's interesting about that is both faith and hope are both very future oriented words. And so the cool thing about it is you see that both faith and hope are fulfilled in eternity, right? And so what's really neat about that, I want to take a look at another verse that's one of my favorites, also written by Paul to the Roman church. And he says in Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have gained peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I love that those two words are used side by side so many times throughout the Gospels and the, the, um, the epistles in the New Testament because faith and hope kind of are hand in hand that when we place our hope or our faith in Jesus, that hope comes right alongside because now we do not have our hope and our faith in our current circumstances, but we have our hope and faith in eternity. And that essentially frees us up to understand God is the one in control. Even when our circumstances are awful or difficult or frustrating, we can trust and know that God is in charge. So let's jump into our third word, which is love. And this is one that's really important for us to look at it in the Greek, because there's actually three or more different Greek words used that compare to what would be love in the English language. So first off, there's eros, which is one of more like a sensual kind of sexual love. And that is not the one we're talking about in this passage. The other one is phileo, which is kind of a brotherly love and this friendship kind of love, which is the, uh, the word Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia is named after this Greek root, uh, the city of brotherly love. 
And also that is not the one in our passage, but today the one we're looking at is the word agape, which literally means this, this sacrificial love, like the love of Christ. Brotherly love is, is close, right? There's this, this friendship and this kindness, but agape is almost like a whole other level. And it expresses, again, the sacrifice that Christ made for us. That's the kind of love that we are to have for other human beings. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. This is the kind of love that Christ intended for believers to have for one another and for those in the world. And so this is something that is really, really important for us to understand and to hone in on, that this faith, this hope, this love is not something that we can do on our own. It is through placing our hope and faith in Christ that Christ enables us, gives us the power in order to have perfect faith, to have perfect hope, and to be able to live in that love. It's not going to be fully perfected while we're here on earth because we're still broken people. But this is something to be striving towards. As we seek God daily in his word, we cry out to him in prayer, our hearts will change. Our The way we live will change. So... I want to just, again, I love C.H. Spurgeon. I just want to give another quick quote from him on love in this passage. Love can bear, believe, hope, and endure because Christ has borne, believed, and hoped, and endured for her love. Love makes us live. Love bought us, sought us, and brought us to the Savior's feet, and it shall henceforth constrain us to deeds which will else be impossible. So again, it just comes back to this idea that loving with this perfect self-sacrificial love is impossible without Jesus. It's because of his sacrifice and his unbelievable love for us that we can then mirror that into the lives of other people. So we can't jump to love. Love is, is, is the goal, but we can't get there without faith and hope. And again, there's, you know, to some extent, brotherly love is plausible, is possible, is, is normal within um, people that know Jesus and those that don't, but it's this deeper level of self-sacrificial love that just isn't plausible without Jesus. And so it's something that is our goal. It should be our goal to, to every single day, get closer and closer to the image of God. And a big part of that is how we love one another. All right. So now that we have looked at the who, what, when, where, Let's take a look at the original why. What would this have mattered? Why would this have mattered to the original readers in the church of Corinth when they received this book from Paul? Why would it have mattered to them to read this? And so as they're reading this again, they're basically brand new in their faith. They've really only been Christians for like two to three years. So they're brand new believers. And so for them, they needed to be reminded of what is the most important in life. Having our faith in Jesus, placing our hope in him in an eternity and loving other people. Everything else that Paul talks about in this book is all centered around this verse, that if we can do those three things, everything else will fall into place. And so the importance, again, they were really struggling with disunity. They were competing with one another. There was legal stuff. There was relational stuff that was going on that was really unhealthy. And Paul is saying this matters. If you can love one another with the love, the self-sacrificial agape love of Christ, these things will not be issues. This needs to be a priority. That faith and hope are built in the present, looking toward eternity, but love 
is existent now and will get even better in eternity when we were finally in God's presence. Anyway, to sum up the first part of this, the who, what, when, where all pointed to the original why, which was essentially Paul telling the Corinthian church, you guys, you had a good run, you were doing well, but you need to get back to your faith, to hope, and to love. And ultimately, love is what you need to be focusing on. If you do, everything else will fall into place. So now that we've figured out the original why, now we can apply this to our lives in the 21st century. Our Western culture is totally obsessed with us, right? Uh, being successful, being rich, being famous, being, um, being known and being respected, among other things. And Paul essentially is saying, guys, that doesn't matter. What matters is the way that you love other people. And especially as Christians, if we are not known for our love, then man, we're giving Jesus a bad name. And he was of anyone that's ever existed on this earth, the most pure loving ever to be here. Because again, he is God in human form and his self-sacrificial agape love is really the only example we have to go off of. If we don't know who Jesus was or how he lived his life, we can't love others well which is why in the next part of our next series, Life and Jesus of Jesus, we will jump headfirst into Jesus' life and learn a little bit of how he loved. But for us as Christians now, today, it looks a little different, but the same ideas still stand true. We need to follow the way that Jesus lived. We need to uh, love others and we need to preach the gospel. That's what matters. That's why we're here. And so the main thing that I'm getting away from this personally is with the faith, hope, and love. I feel like our times, the this, this situation that we're in right now, there's not a lot of hope right now. And I feel like I personally even have placed my hope in my circumstances, in uh, different ideas of the way I thought that life was gonna look. And right now that's all out of my control. And so for me to understand if I'm placing my hope in myself or in my circumstances, I am gonna be let down. But if I can first and foremost place my hope and my faith in Jesus, I won't be as concerned about what happens today or tomorrow. We're gonna be disappointed if we focus on ourselves all the time. We're gonna be disappointed if we focus on our circumstances all the time. But if we are daily taking our attention and turning it towards Jesus, we will be changed. I know for me personally, I'm a scroller on Facebook or Instagram, and I just wanna scroll and follow up with my friends, but I find recently, I've just been feeling really anxious and discouraged every time I hop on there. And more than likely, you're probably watching this on Facebook, so it seems a little hypocritical, but I just know for me, if I'm just scrolling mindlessly, I'm gonna be discouraged because I'm putting my hope and my mental attention on the things of this world. But when I put my time and my energy into studying God's word, into reading his word, into praying and just talking with God about my concerns and my feelings, I'm able to find true peace. I don't find that on my phone. It's quite the opposite. I feel discouraged whenever I'm on my phone, but when I can spend time daily even if it's just for that like 15, 20 minutes that I'm sitting there, I experience true 
peace. So I want to challenge you to apply our why today. If you're not already, start a YouVersion Bible plan, the daily New Testament, and start reading your Bible every day. See how it changes your life and helps you to be more oriented towards growing in your faith, increasing in hope, and better loving God and other people around us. I want to give you that challenge because I truly believe that when we spend time in God's word, our hearts are able to be filled with that agape love. And once they're filled, they can't help but flowing out onto other people. That's the call. Anyway, I hope you guys have been encouraged diving into God's word today. Thank you so much for looking at the who, what, when, where, original why and modern why of the Bible. I pray that that would be a beneficial tool for you as you read and study the Bible. And I hope that you'll join me back here next week as we start episode three, which is the first in a series called Life and Teachings of Jesus. If we want to be able to put our faith and hope in Jesus, we need to know who he was and who he still is today. And that will enable us to better love God and love other people. So join me back here next week. I'll see you guys soon.